everybody. Thanks so much for joining us on 3P Champs. I'm Rob Stoller in Philadelphia with my blood brother. Greg Stern here in Seattle. That's it, man. Today, we really have a fascinating guy to present, as, as I think all of our 3P champions are. Uh, John Santignon is a very difficult guy to sum up. He's been an elite player, coach, domestically, internationally. He's a serial positivity guy. I think we're going to let you listen to him before I say too much. But like many of our guests, Greg brought John to the 3P party. Greg, why don't you give us some of your impressions of John? Yeah, sure. I love John. He's an amazing man. I think when we first spoke, it was about basketball and he had talked to John Wooden. I had a fascination with John Wooden. And just knowing that he admired John Wooden, you kind of know what kind of guy he is. But as uh, I talked to him more and more, I just found him fascinating. He's done so many things. You know, obviously most of his life, his passion has been basketball at all levels, high school, college, professionally. But he's been a motivational speaker to take him around the world, an author. He's an entrepreneur. He's a second degree black belt in karate. Um, he has a lot of interests and uh, he's passionate about everything. He's just a passionate guy, real positive. So I found him fascinating and I can't wait to hear what people think of our conversation because his personal story is unbelievable and you'll get to hear that. But uh, what a great man. He's still out there spreading positivity, developing and mentoring kids as he's coaching in uh, Japan right now. Yeah. As I said, his experience is so broad that uh, there's a lot we didn't get a chance to speak about. But anyway, fascinating guy. Without any further ado, Coach John Santignon. There he is. There he is. Hey, John. Hey, guys. How are you? All right. All the way in Japan. Wow, yeah. that's right. I forgot you're in Japan. How are you doing? Yeah, you know, all is well, but I'm just uh, excited to be on the phone call with you guys. We're happy to have you. What are you doing in Japan, John? I'm a professional head basketball coach here. When I take these international jobs, they can last anywhere from a couple months to 10 months. So this this one's a long, long one. This one's 10 months. We happen to have spoken with a couple of guys, Tom Newell. Tom Newell coached in a lot of countries, including Japan, I think. You ambassadors of basketball are so important <laughs> to the game. Well, sometimes we get lucky. I would prefer to stay domestic, <laughs> but... <laughs> That's not the life that, that I lead. You know, somehow, some way, I always get an international opportunity. Where, well, where have you coached overseas? I know you've been all over the place. Where are some of the places you've been? Spain, Italy, Croatia, Bosnia recently, China, Japan, Argentina, wow. Dominican Republic. I just think that's the most incredible experience that so few people even have that available to them. I mean, you're, you're in a very small community of respected American coaches who are spreading the gospel of basketball around the world. To me, that's amazing. I'm, I'm sure there are times where it's not fun and it's not glorious, but there have to be a lot of times where you realize how fortunate you are to be doing what you're doing. You know, if you can get that perspective like you just gave, then it gives you the opportunity to, to reveal like, yes, you are lucky. And it does take, it takes an external factor, someone to tell you like, like you just did, because really you feel as an individual that your, your role is just to bottom line, win or lose. Having coached a lot of games in different sports, 
And a lot of times losses are more valuable than wins. You learn more from a loss than you do from a win. And if you can get the team to really learn from losses, that can be helpful. And I, I kind of feel like in Japan, that's such a deep psychological country. Even their, their business philosophies are long-term and people stay with the same company forever. I, I would think they could glean from wins and losses on a philosophical level, but they're professionals too. They do. So they want to win as well. I'm sure there's yeah. a little conflict there. Before I arrived to Japan two years ago, you know, I had coached in Mexico and, and, uh, and yeah, if you didn't win psychologically, you were on the chopping block. You definitely had to change a player that night in order to get the win. And if you didn't do that again and again and again, then it was your job and you would lose it. And so when I first got to Japan, took a couple losses and I started, you know, automatically that pressure came on me and it was not that at all. Mm. My, my president realizes when I'm under stress, he tells me, it looked like you're under stress. <laughs> what? Yes. I want to tell him, yeah, I'm trying to win games, you know, and he'll take me out to dinner and something else, you know, to just to let you know, like, you know, re relax, you know, it's, it's not like that. Yeah, so nice it, that, that part is just refreshing. People chase jobs all the time for money. And and then they realize like, OK, well, that's the bottom line, winning games. No, there's more to it than that, man. It's, it's about having the realization like uh, I'm not going to win every game. But for sure, you know, you don't want to be on the chopping block every game. Yeah. Hey, John, I had a couple of questions. So we, this program is a Stern and Stoller three P's, which is passion, purpose and principle. And, you know, in our conversation we've had. I knew from the get-go, man, you live with passion and purpose and principle. And, uh, you know, the fact that you – I mean, I can't imagine. I'm a ball player, but stress of job to job, moving around, the pressure to win in some place, it's got to be – you got to be passionate about that sport to stick with it with that kind of lifestyle. What, what would you say is your passion? Is, is it basketball? Is it mentoring? Is it coaching? Because you do it all. Yeah, no, my, my passion, you know, I, I kind of realized, like, there are no mistakes in life. There's something, some reason every player has ever come my direction. And I, and I get the true, the true joy of changing their life through this game. Even though they're professional athletes, they come to the table with a psychology. Uh, they're going to eventually, if they're not married, they're going to try to be. If they're not having a, a, a home and other responsibilities, they're going to try to have it. But they gotta, they gotta know. I gotta walk the walk. I gotta, I gotta show them the vulnerable side of me because that's, that's really what takes away from, from performance. Being afraid, you know, fear of failure, then being judged, you know, those two things go, go hand in hand. But more importantly than that is, like, let's say practice. Practice is really only four percent of their day. It's not that much. What else can I, can I affect? I, I, re I remember being a professional athlete and, and it was just lonely, man. The, the, the walls, you think that's all you are and you're much more than that. And you're going to be much more than that. So that's, that's the joy I find. I think that's the reason why I do this, the challenge, but I get so much joy later, almost every day, some former player calls me and it's absolutely rewarding because yeah. they're calling me for advice or something else I helped them with, or someone else that they're dealing with and how to help them. And it's amazing because that's, 
that's kind of like where I'm at now in my journey. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mentor now. So yeah. I really thought it would be that. And I, I have no doubt that's true. And I really, I respect what you're doing. And I'm sure you've helped countless people. Um, let's, let's roll it back some years and tell us who some of the mentors in your life were. Well, I've had some, I've had some pretty, I've been lucky in the game of basketball. I've had some very famous people that have, that have been influential to me. You know, first and foremost, it had to be, it had to be started with my parents. You know, they were the ones that gave me the ability to, to, to infuse in me the, that education was going to be the key to my success, no matter what, because I was not going to be told what to do. I was going to have a choice in life. And so they sacrificed and I saw their sacrifices to get me to a private education, which certainly couldn't have been easy for them. And I take it for granted because you're just a kid going to school. But now looking back, you're like, well, you know, I was provided a whole unique set of circumstances and opportunity to be different, to have an upper hand in life. Mm. Then when it came to selecting what to do in, in athletics or whatever chosen field, music, whatever thing, it was encouraged to, to do it, to do it all the way to, to a conclusion, to not stop and to take the lessons from it. And thankfully, I was allowed to play everything. And that opened up more doors. And I got some incredible coaches at that young age that took an interest in, in providing me what what calmness was, the fundamentals of, of whatever game it was. I also saw the bad side of some guys, you know, were, were, were winning and losing and throwing temper tantrums. That didn't equate with me either. And so those relationships were forged then. And then I fell in love with the, with the game. But seeing these role models who had an influence on me, but also I, I, had, a, I had a neighbor that lived across the street from me that was a, a professional motocross racer. And he was the best in, in with certainly within the state of Arizona, but he was also on ABC wide world of sports. He was incredible. And I saw his diligence every single day and the look and the eyes and the, the determination. And I was fascinated with him every day. The, the minute I would hear him start his motorcycle, I would sprint to the front of my home. I would watch him, and, and then I watched every mannerism. So he played a key role because I kept seeing like, wow, there's this, there's this guy that is so Im- incredibly dedicated. And so fast forward a bit in life, he sees that I'm dedicated in the game of basketball and he kind of carves the way for me. He's just no distractions in the neighborhood. This kid goes to play. I don't want nobody to mess with him kind of thing. Cause he's the oldest guy in the neighborhood. And at that time, marijuana is coming into the play and kids are experimenting with these things. And it's all around the park where I, where I go to play, but I was cleared of that and allowed to kind of pursue that passion that I had of this game as most people do, because it doesn't cost anything. You just need a ball. Yeah. You just need, and if you even if you don't have a ball, you just need your imagination. I didn't have internet yet. There's no, no such thing as television was three, maybe four channels. And so what am I going to do? I think it was a good, it's a good thing. You know, it was hot and my, I lived in Arizona. My mom didn't had air conditioning, but didn't ever use it. So yeah. it was boiling hot. So you go outside. <laughs> Where did you play at? Where did you play ball at? High school? So I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. So I went to South Point Catholic High School. 
to, to play my high school game. And then, and then I, I'm fortunate. I move on to the university of California, Santa Cruz first. And then, uh, I I'm fortunate to, to do some, to do some great things with the game of basketball there. And then my final season, I transferred to university of California at San Diego. And, and then that, that evolution changes me to then play professionally in Barcelona and then later in Mexico. And then a whole new world kind of continues to go from there in the game. Wow. When you look back on your life, I mean, even that quick encapsulation of your Genesis, I know your folks instilled that you would have control over what you do, but sometimes it seems like the people you meet, the influences that you come into your life, sort of create the path that you end up taking. You know, do you ever feel like uh, you're a traveler on your own path? We, we all go on a quest, Rob, and I, and I have been on a quest to, to try to discover more. I just want, I want to live life with no regrets. That was first and foremost. You know, I wanted to take chances and take risks in this, in this life because I, I've always been told I've only had one, right? So I was adopted. And then, you know, going back, like my first professional job, I'm back at my, my mom's house and I'm preparing to fly out. And, and she comes into, into the room crying, has a name on, written on a piece of paper saying, this is your birth mother. Wow. If you wish to go find her. And I'm absolutely not going to do that. I could see tears flowing already. Had I done that, it would have been almost like a, a stab in that regard. But more so, I'm young. I could care less. You know, at that point, all I care about is just me, myself, ego, and what I'm going to do to perform to play this game. Throughout the years after that, I was curious, and I thought, and I wondered, but then life gets complicated in the 30s. And then in the 40s, I'm moving all over the rest of the world. But when I turned 50, I decided I was going to take a DNA test, go explore what this thing was all about. Wow, was I fascinated. DNA is amazing. That's, mm. That little piece, whatever that is, is just totally mind-blowing. Yeah. And so at the first day, I took, th I took three of them. The first one just gave me background as to where I came from. And I was shocked because it kind of really tells you like where you're from, you know, where your dad's from, where your mom's from potential. And it goes way back history. Simple from a simple DNA, little exam that you said, so where were you from? And my mother's side was Chihuahua, Mexico in a small area called Nuevo Casas Grandes. And my dad's side was from Spain. And so as you look to the migration patterns, you're like, okay, yeah, that was definitely the pattern that happened then. You know, the Spanish came, conquistadors, everything was happening. Could they have met? You bet. But didn't provide me names or any of that. So you fast forward years, years, I kept doing this. And what about the name your mom had given you? Did you lo lose that or chuck it or? I never took it, Rob. And then when she died, we went back into her home and looking for things. And that was the one item I was trying to search for. Of course, it's not there. I, yeah. And if it was, maybe I didn't understand what it was or anything, but I, I didn't have it. Yeah. And so I thought it was lost and it very well was, you know, and, but I still had this quest to go search and took another DNA exam 
after meeting everybody and getting the lay of the land, like per, those potential where I was born, this is the potential hospital. This is the procedure that happened during that time period. A young lady due to religious reasons could not have an abortion. Therefore, left with the circumstances, have the child or not have the child. If they decided adoption, immediately birth given away. Well, I learned that from many people there. And there were only three potential doctors that did this delivery. So went to go meet them all. And, you know, they're dead, but they have children. And you're just wow. trying to stoke their imagination, but really just sitting down, having coffee with them and learning. Okay, I, I have an idea where I'm from. And the town took it to heart. Like they started getting on radio, talking about I'm in town that I was looking for but I wasn't auditioning for a mom or a dad, you know, they had to come with very specific information in order to lead to something. And it didn't, it didn't happen that first time. No problem. I took a different DNA exam, found a search angel in Provo, Utah, same thing, more detailed information, but nothing concrete because everything that that lady was asking me never, I couldn't answer because I, I don't know. I don't know who that person is. I don't know what that is. But I still went back to the town again because I started to realize like it could be someone's secret. So someone never wants to say that. It could destroy a life, you know, or maybe I wasn't wanted or maybe it was something else. Or what are the chances? I mean, could be some lady way out in the, out in, in, in the countryside and we have no idea, you know? So it became more and more of a, needle in a haystack for sure moment. Like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna, ever gonna do this, but I never stopped because I was like, well, how, if I stop then 100% sure, I'll never find out. And you were instilled with the ethic to finish what you start. Yeah. Just keep going, you know, and that's exactly it. You know, my, everybody started telling me, you know, I don't understand why you're doing that. And I was like, well, but you, of course you don't. Right. <laughs> it's not it's your not, journey. You're not me, yeah. Uh, you're not inquisitive to find out where you came from my whole life. I have no idea. I'm, I'm an adopted child. What does that mean? Well, it means I had to do extra stuff, you know, maybe it's psychologically myself as an adopted child. That's why I, I went to achieve to prove I belong. But I always wanted to know, like when they would ask, you know, what's the family history? I have no idea. Hmm. I don't know. You know, I took a third DNA exam, but prior to that DNA exam that I took, I hear of a story. I go to one of those doctors and it's one of his sons and his son says, yes, I believe my dad probably delivered you 30 years, 30 years before that. A guy comes from the United States who can't speak Spanish and has a little picture and goes door to door looking for, wants to find his mom. He says he's adopted. And he, so meanwhile, I have this senator who has fallen in love with this story because he's into puzzles and he's totally engaged in this thing. And he's sitting with me and he's fascinated five hours. This guy spends with me and, and he just wants to keep listening to this story. Well, I'm frustrated, man. God, I'm like, I can't believe it. Of course I'm coming to this conclusion. So tell me, did the guy find his mom? Yeah, he found, he spent three or four weeks going door to door found his mom. And then I was like, ah, well, there's a conspiracy now. Somebody doesn't want that information out. 
because I started thinking today's world that would be considered human trafficking. And so maybe they're afraid of this American basketball coach. He's not really from here kind of thing. Maybe. So I'm thinking down those lines, you know, too many, too many movies, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, but it was real. You know, I kind of thought it was like, it's a conspiracy. Somebody didn't want me, you know, who knows? So I'm frustrated, but I get to hear that story. Okay. So now fast forward, I take a third DNA exam and lo and behold, this time two results come back on that DNA exam that say first cousin niece, first cousin niece means wait a minute, that would be a brother or a sister's child. Holy cow. So I had to slow down now, formulate an email that would not be threatening, allowing them to make a phone call back to me just to have a discussion. Both ladies graciously answer my phone call and they both say, I think you should talk to my dad. No problem. Eventually the father calls me and just says, <laughs> I, I think I'm your brother. All right. No problem. Explain to me why. He goes, 30 years ago, I had a picture and wow. I crossed the border and I spoke no Spanish and I went door to door. Wow. And I'm like, you're that guy you're that, that they were guy. talking about. Wow. And then he's, so I just, I'm flabbergasted now. And I'm like, so what happened? And he goes, I found our mother. And, and then I asked, do I have brothers and sisters? And she said, yes, these two are your brother's sister. And they were all within Mexico. And then she said, what, you have one brother who was given up for adoption, May 1965, which is my birthday. And I'm like, oh, man, full circle. Wow. So what happened? And he goes, I gathered up all the brothers and sisters and we went looking for you. Knees crumbled at this point, man. Wow. I was like, you went looking for me? How? Where do you go? Because we thought possibly that you went to Las Vegas, Phoenix, or Tucson. You went, you went there illegally because he was the only American citizen. The others were not. They crossed the border illegally. He drove them, crossed them back illegally. And they may have found me, Rob, but at that time I'm in college playing basketball. And I wonder, had they found me, I really wouldn't have been in the in the right frame of mind anyway. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have accepted the fact that they discovered right. me and I'm your brother. You, you weren't looking for them at that time. Wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. You know, and as it was, because I led the country in scoring and basketball, people would write letters with the same surname that I had. And that was great, you know, but it's still that same thing. Like, I, I, I didn't know you and I don't know who you are. And in this particular case, it was stunning. I found them all. I went looking. I found all the brothers and sisters. I went back again. And I mean, it was like an Oprah Winfrey show. Media wanted to cover the fact that I'm flying in. Uh, Univision wanted to, to come and see what I was doing. Wasn't it kind of mind-blowing that, that your brother was a basketball coach? Yeah, no, everything was totally different. Uh, everything was just shocking, you know. Uh, the rest of the family definitely was never had seen basketball, never had even been to an event. 
that small town did everything for me. The mayor gave me like key to the city kind of thing. They made a basketball tournament in my name. Uh, it was crazy, you know, wow. and all because I went looking and never gave up. And now I have, you know, over 20 nieces and nephews and five <laughs> brothers and sisters. I got to see my mother's, they, my mother and father had died, but I got to see their siblings. Amazing, amazing to see the transformation there you know did you see yourself and those people i mean he's like yeah I can oh yeah them. yeah you know especially like uh my dad's father well, like i that's kind of like my build you know i was like yeah. i think my gosh that might be like how i look you know and and to see them stunned you know looking at me because i'm much bigger that was another thing i think it had to be the nutrition and everything else but they, you know, they were so emotionally, there's such a different relationship between what family means here and in other places. They were teary and crying because I was given up for adoption. And I kept telling them, I'm the beneficiary of it. Yeah. Um, my life might have been, I, might, I may have died. You never know what could have happened. Uh, I benefited from it. Yeah. There's no need for any of that. They kept the story alive to their own children. Their children would tell me, they would say, my mom always said that I, I have an uncle. You just don't know where he's at, but he was, you know. Wow. They always kept the memory alive. And that's the difference in the spirit of family in different places. That's just an incredible story that has to inform your life every day. It totally does because... Uh, you know, every once in a while, I'll share that story on long flights. And and I think I told Greg that the other day, like there was a, a 60 year old lady next to me and a, and a 30 year old on the other side. And I was telling them where I was going. I was going to go see my niece for the first time. And I shared with them the story just to see what their reactions were being. I mean, they were in tears wow. because you could see like one is a grandmother, possibly the other is a to be a mom and wondering like, wow, if given up for adoption, what is the significance of that? And then to go in this full circle and meet them with open arms. I mean, they were totally, absolutely loving, mainly because that was probably my, my nature was to go in there and tell them, like, I, I'm not your dad. I don't know him per se. I've never been around. I am who I am, you know, and I definitely want to have a relationship with all of you. Uh, but it does, you know, here I am popping in <laughs> late in your life. You know, but, but you know what? That's amazing. I've heard people tell stories about them. My dad tried to find his history and, and, and didn't make it anywhere. And he spent a lot of time. You stuck with that thing with unsurmountable odds. Luck is almost like that's just that's an amazing story that you could have quit anytime. And said, you know, I'm never going to know the hell with this. Is that, is that feeling gone of like, okay, I'm okay with that? Or is it still like, well, I want to know more? I would have loved to have met, met mom, my mother and father. Sure. I have no Ill, Ill will. You know, I kind of understand the circumstances. You yeah. know, I, I understand how life works. Uh, and, and given up, most, I just can't imagine from my own viewpoint, having children now, the, the decision to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Many people think it's a bad, uh, it's a bad decision. No, I think it's an incredible decision to say someone else has to take this child and can provide a life for them different than I can. Although difficult as hell. 
has to be gut-wrenching at the time. It's 1965, Rob. There's no television around. And I was somewhere for four days under someone's care because that's when my mother and father in Tucson, Arizona, get that call to come get me. But they got to drive. There's no airplanes that fly there. They were driving. The roads weren't paved. So it took them a long time to get there. I picture all these shows, these cold cases, just this cold case stories. But one thing you said there makes me think about stuff. The simplest thing in my life is you just want to know. I can't move on to like, what the, why is that? I just want to know. But you're on a a mission to find, you just want to know. Whether it's good or bad, you're going to deal with it regardless. But just the fact that, you know, it's got to be a relief that, hey, at least I know who I am. Everybody was telling me, you know, what do you, you know, the negative side of it. Like, what have you told you weren't wanted or they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to be known. True. But at least it's, that's up to them to decide that. It's not coming from my, it's not coming from me. And, and I'm, I was fully prepared to hear, I don't want nothing to do with you. I don't want nothing. They thought the same for me. Yeah. They were afraid to meet me because they thought I was going to reject them. Why? I mean, I'm the one that's searching for you. We can build a relationship from where from where it is, but that that was my own nature. And I, yes, Greg, I wanted to know where I came from. Who, where am I from? And I can say now that I know what my dad's name was, where that family name originates in in Madrid, and and to find out like my mother and where was she from and what where did she come from at that time period? It just led more history to all of it. Do you speak Spanish, John? I do. Yeah, yeah. not 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 perfect, you know, but conversational. I, I can have a conversation with anybody yeah. in it, but, you know. But you shared blood with these people. They were your blood relatives. And that had to be a powerful revelation. You know, it was, uh, it was immense, immense love for me because I, I that's all I have. I have passion of love and giving. And that's all that was for me. You know, I, I just I was fascinated. I just kept staring at them. You know, yeah. it's like I, I I can't imagine that. Wow, we're we're this we're of the same. This is this. I'm is in my mind. I'm like God. I wish I was a fly on the wall just to see the emotion. So we're in this hotel, and this hotel manager realizes who I am and what I'm in town for, and that I'm meeting them. And so he closes the hotel. He <laughs> takes the lobby and says, "All yours," just to have this meeting with them in the lobby oh, man. freely. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, man, what are what amazing people you guys are. Because you, I can think about it. I mean, if you because immediately you go, what if that was me? What would I do? And you know that, man, this is important stuff. Let's make it perfect for this person, because what if that was me? I'd want to know. That's what I would think immediately. I mean, I'm not saying everyone would think that way, but I can see how somebody would think that. Well, you know, again, there's there's somebody else that doesn't, you know, that yeah. that feels like they were given up for adoption and they were given away. And they have no intention of looking for their parent whatsoever. Yeah. They don't I, want to know. It's you know, too painful. And and they're okay with that. And that and that's what I kept hearing as well. Like, I'm not, no way, you know, they gave, oh, okay. I, I don't know the family circumstances. I know everybody's got something and I'm not a perfect parent. So what the heck, man? I was introduced to this 3P champions thing through Greg or together, but he introduced me to Dale Brown. And I, I left that conversation with Dale Brown thinking that he is so much more than a basketball coach, that basketball comprised this much of his persona and character 
He's visited 90 countries. He's spent time with Mother Teresa. He's adamant for Native American rights because does John know about Dale Brown? Just the last thing about the fact that Dale Brown's father left their family two days before Dale Brown was born and he never spoke with him. And he went he on to bed. So he's 21. And he went on to become the greatest humanitarian I've ever spoken with, despite right. the fact that he was like mortally injured two days before he was born. And that yeah. human spirit, there's nothing like it. And I kind of feel in your case, because you are, you have experienced the deepest emotions of love, loss, finding people, empathy. All of that is what makes you the coach you are. I know you were a great player, and I'm sure you're a phenomenal coach, but it's not X's and O's. I'm sure you know no, X's no. and O's out the wigwam, but everything else you bring in your heart and soul is part of what you're trying to pass along to your teams. If I can impart with them every single day, some little thing, you know, no, no question. That's, that's why I have to walk the walk. They have to see who I am. So those stories that define us, like your story is, is amazing. The emotional spectrum you had to go and the willpower and the thought to succeed through that and finish the deal. And then here you are. Don't take the easy way out. That's what John Wood, don't make excuses, right? Yeah. It's, so, you know, Rob, when I, I talked to him the first time we brought up John Wood, he spent lots of time with John Wood. I have much uh, time with Coach Wooden. I got lucky to be to be what's called his head counselor, so that allowed me to pick him up and drive him everywhere. Oh my God! And, uh, so then he started to uh, just have conversations with me at his apartment, uh, phone calls, and then as I got into the coaching profession after basketball, he became that next level guy. I was going to get married. And he wanted to meet my wife and did not speak to me, Rob, only her the whole time. Uh -huh. What am I, what am I here for? Right. He didn't care. He just wanted to just love her and fast forward down the road. I invite him to our wedding. He gracefully accepts, but then declines at the same time to go because he said it will detract. People will, will want to have autographs with me. So let me write and talk to each one of your groomsmen. I had 10. Each one, he personally sat down with all 10. Oh, my God. Phone's ringing off the hook, Rob. I am listening to, to call after call after call in his place. And he could care less. And I, I, I once, you know, to, to break up the monotony, go, hey, coach, are you going to answer that, man? I mean, these people are calling. I will get to them when I get to them. You wow. are my guest. That that I never forgot. And to this day, when someone wants my time, I I totally make it. Uh, and it drives me nuts when I hear of other coaches who cannot do that. They act like they're so important and so busy. Your story is remarkable. And you don't take anything for granted. And all these lessons you've learned are what now comprise the lessons you're passing along. And that's why you're a great coach. We're going to we're gonna keep moving with this thing. This has been an amazing call. And, uh, man, I love you, John. You're a special man. And Thank you, John. I'm, I'm proud to have met you. Take Bye, care, John. man. Bye, brother. Arigato. Domo arigato.
Well, I hope you all enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed presenting it. And I would imagine you'll agree there's a lot more to John than might meet the eye in, in the half hour we just presented. He's a difficult guy to describe, but he's certainly one of the most positive individuals I've ever met. One of the most determined individuals I've ever met. His passion is all over the place. His purpose, I think, is to provide education, enlightenment, basketball, and love. And his principles are, I think, of the highest order. I, I hope people really appreciate his story. Fascinating story about how you know, he didn't find out that he was adopted until he was leaving home and then kind of let it sit there until he was 50 years old. And he said, hey, I want to find out where I'm from. Who's my parents? I just found that crazy, fascinating story, his persistence, his passion for understanding, and then finally meeting up with his family who have been around the world. And similarly, understood that they had some, some brother out there somewhere as well. But I found that story fascinating. Obviously, his background on being a coach and positivity and all that stuff was great to hear. I find him as a very passionate, purposeful man, and I really enjoyed meeting him and enjoyed his conversation. I mean, it kind of blew my mind. Even as just a player, I had no idea he led the country in scoring one year, which is insane. And he didn't actually begin the search in earnest for his birth parents until his adoptive mom, who was his mom, passed away. And I thought that was interesting. Quite a guy. Thank you so much for joining us for the presentation of John Santignon as a 3P champion. Come back again next time and see who we present then. Greg, you rock. <laughs> Thanks, Robo. All right, brother. I'll see you soon. Take care.